This podcast is brought to you by Minimal Productions. Producer Jim Mintz. Bail is refused. You're out of order! If it pleases the court. To adopt this affirmation, please say the words, I do. I do. Nothing further from this court. Given the serious nature of this offence, this case is dismissed. Welcome to The Wigs. I'm your host, Jim Minns. I know we have kept you waiting, but I'm very pleased to announce that The Wigs are back with a new episode. This week, the panel look at the truly unusual decision from Justice Wigney of the Federal Court, which involved a serving federal judge being ordered to pay damages for wrongfully imprisoning a man he jailed for contempt of court. Stratford, a pseudonym versus Judge Vasta, 2023 FCA 1020, has already had massive ramifications. Some judges have reportedly refused to sit since it was handed down, and calls for a standing federal judicial commission to investigate judicial misconduct have been renewed, and the decision has been appealed by multiple parties setting the stage for a final determination of the limits of judicial immunity at common law. The judgment of Justice Wigney delved into the fascinating question of when a judge can be sued for the conduct on the bench and involved the surveying of hundreds of years of case law on point. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weeks. It's great to have you again as uh, a welcome audience to our show that we love having you every week. Manuel Kirk-Sherian, how are you doing here, sir? Jim, hello. Hello to you. Hello to you. Uh, happy anniversary. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Stephen Lawrence, MLC, how are you going? Good, mate. Good to be here. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for asking. No worries. It's good to see you in person. And you. Felicity Graham, how are you? I'm great. Great to be under these bright lights in this really hot lights in bright the studio. Hot. Yeah. Really fancy it? studio. It's like an interrogation room or something. A bit like that. Well, let's treat it like that. Felicity Graham, I believe you have this first topic <laughs> that we're talking about today. Please, enlighten us. We are talking about a recent Federal Court of Australia case, um, Mr Stradford, which is a pseudonym, and a judge of the Federal Circuit Court, Judge Vasta. How do we feel about putting the word judge in the, in the name of the case? Yeah. Like should it's not a title, is it, Judge? I think it should be the Honourable Salvadori Basta or whatever his name. I would have thought it'd just be. Though he's probably not honourable, right? Because it's an inferior court. Anyway, sorry, we distracted you. That's okay. We'll get to that. They do it for they used to do it for magistrates though before the UCPR Mm. required that the presiding officer not be named. They used to put in their name as magistrate. Jeff Dunleavy, for example. They did. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Anyway. Anyway, we digress um, to a, a point of not much relevance. No. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Thanks, but thanks for raising it, man. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this case, <laughs> um, in terms of its history, starts in the Federal Circuit Court in a matrimonial causes hearing um, between Mr. Stradford and his then wife, Mrs. Stradford. It was a property dispute um, type matter in the context of their relationship breaking up. And as a result, the parties had obligations to each other to disclose their financial positions so that there could be a fair adjudication of the uh, the property um, split. Um, there were a few de- court dates. Um, there was some back and forth about what documents Mr. Stradford was required to disclose, things like gambling records, bank account records, um, uh, some other financial records. And ultimately it came before um, Judge Vasta 
who um, to just kind of cut to the very meaty end of things ended up locking up Mr. Stratford for 12 months um, for a purported contempt of court for oh, okay. failing to comply with the order Did of disclosure. 12 months? Yep. With a non parole period or Six suspended months, after? Right? And then suspended mm. for two years after that. Jeez. So a very hefty um, penalty. Um, it gets worse. <laughs> I, I, I'm familiar with it, but I'm still perplexed by it. So. Um, that order was subsequently set aside by the appeal court and then Mr Stradford brought civil proceedings which were in the federal court of um, federal court mm. um, for false imprisonment collateral abuse of process um, against the judge personally mm. and then also against the Commonwealth and State of Queensland on the basis that they were vicariously liable for false imprisonment because their security police and prison officers had acted on the judge's order and warrant and caused him to be imprisoned. Mm. Um, Mr Stratford succeeded in those proceedings and was awarded variously kind of against the different parties bit over $300,000 for having been um, imprisoned for about seven days, ultimately. And he had PTSD on the evidence, didn't he? Yeah, and major depressive disorder. He only got it for for seven days of imprisonment. Yeah, so what happened is he filed an appeal Mm. after um, Judge Vasta initially locked him up. Mm. His lawyers then went back to Judge Vasta... um, after having filed the appeal and sought a stay of his orders, mm-hmm. at which point the judge acknowledged that he'd done the wrong thing mm. and ordered that he be released forthwith pending the appeal. Mm. Then the appeal um, took place where the court um, set, set aside the orders of Judge Vaster and said, we're driven to conclude that the processes employed by the primary judge were so devoid of procedural fairness to the Hmm. husband and the reasons for judgment so lacking in engagement with the issues of fact and law to be applied that to permit the declaration and order for imprisonment to stand would be an affront to justice. Hmm. Um, So what was the supposed contempt of court? The supposed contempt of court was failing to disclose certain financial records to the wife. Um, Mr. Stratford had put on affidavit evidence about that question and he also tried to explain to Judge Vasta the circumstances that related to the allegation of the breach of the disclosure orders, which included things like um, either the bank accounts don't exist or I... um, don't have access to the documents and I've disclosed everything that I have in my possession or available to me, um, things like that. Mm. So his account in relation to the contempt, if it had been properly considered, amounted to um, perhaps that he might not have been in contempt or um, even if he had breached the order that there was um, a certain process that had to be applied um, before a contempt finding could be made. That's, um, the, that's the thing I find so extraordinary about this, right? So he appears in front of Vasta, who makes orders for him to produce affidavits and to comply with this obligation of disclosure. 
then VASTA makes a further order that if compliance doesn't occur, that there'll be a contempt hearing. That's right. It then goes in front of a different judge who doesn't make a finding of contempt. It's then put over again in front of VASTA, I think on the hearing day, who then somehow infers, assume, concludes that because the material hasn't been filed, there's been a contempt finding. Mm. Well, he says, so the matter can't go anywhere at this point in time because Judge Turner has determined you're in contempt of the orders that I made. And Judge Turner had made no such finding. finding, So that thing you read at the beginning about the appeal court saying so devoid of procedural fairness, et cetera, that's almost generous, right? Because, sure, there was no procedural fairness, but more fundamentally, maybe, there was no finding of contempt. Mm. Well, that's Not, right. There I wasn't mean, just a procedurally unfair finding. There just there was an assumption Gosh. of jurisdiction that didn't even exist. Imagine, like, you, was, you rented a videotape back in the 90s and there'd be that ad that played beforehand, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't rob a bank, would you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, steal from someone in the street, would you? You wouldn't disclose, not disclose your financial <laughs> obligations to your former spouse in New Queensland court, would you? So, I mean... <laughs> I remember those ads. <laughs> so, but they had so, ads about, you know, stealing stuff off the internet, yeah, ripping, yeah, ripping yeah, films stealing. and stuff yeah, off yeah, the yeah. You should Piracy go to jail. is a crime. You should yeah. go to jail, even yeah, though you won't. Yeah. Disclosing your family court matters to Judge Vasta <laughs> is obligatory. What, what I found particularly disturbing was that they turn up at the final hearing, there's this disclosure issue again, and... Judge Vasta says he's prepared to deal with Stradford for contempt. And Mrs. Stradford says she doesn't want yes. him to go to jail. Yes. She just wants proper disclosure. And then he says, his honour says, um, I'll adjourn the proceedings briefly to allow them to discuss the matter mm. um, because if they, could reach a, if they couldn't reach an amicable settlement, he would then deal with him for contempt which I find particularly disturbing. It's He's like, even more, I think there's a couple of things in there even more pointed than that. He says to them at one point, and he says it to her directly, while there is still a matter on foot, He's in contempt and I'm going to have to yeah. jail him. But if there's no such matter on foot, then I won't have to. So why don't you go outside and talk about it? And that then feeds into the collateral that's abuse right. process. That's right. So that's the factual sure. well, circumstances hmm. Because where the argument there is that... Well, she's got all the favour. Yeah. She's punishing him for not resolving the matter, mm. not for contempt of court. Mm. Yeah, and he's acting out of an improper purpose improper to try purpose, to get it yeah. settled rather than... Um, it's to vindicate the court's interest in protecting its orders and efficacy, etc. It's worth going yeah. to some of the language. So his honour. Um, it just means we'll have to go ahead with the contempt hearing. Um, I've got something on 11, so we'll come back at quarter to 12 and then we'll sort this out. All right, so I hope you bought your toothbrush, Mr Stratford. Oh, that's the classic line, isn't it? And then mm. he says, sorry, no. <laughs> sorry, what are you going to say? Well, don't worry, they'll give you one. And then Mrs Stratford says, sorry, I don't want him to go to. His honour says, I don't care. She says, Okay. It's very poignant, that part, right? isn't it? They're locked in this sort yeah. of vicious family court blue. He's and she's like, hang on a minute. I yeah, don't want him to go to jail. jail. So, and he's honest, this is my order. She's like, okay, like, this is not your order. You can't come to a conclusion. So, therefore, it means that this is still on foot. If this is the bit you're saying, mm. the matter's still on foot. He's in contempt. The only way he gets out of contempt is if this matter is not in foot anymore. Mm. I mean, query why that matters. It doesn't matter, right? I wouldn't have thought. Um, and, That's like know, saying... That 
the person has pleaded guilty. So the fact that you commit a contempt in the face of the court goes away. Mm. Because the proceeding, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that at all. Mm. I wouldn't have thought. The other really concerning aspect, to, I mean, there are many, many to go through and mm. um, we won't cover them all in the episode, but one of the other really concerning aspects of the chronology of events, so they're sent out to see if they can settle it and the transcript shows that the proceedings was adjourned between 10.46am and 11.57am. But meanwhile... Um, a document produced by the Queensland Police Service indicated that 11.43am, in other words, before they'd returned um, yeah. for the court hearing to continue and for the court to see what kind of was happening and where it would go from there, um, one of the security guards on duty at the court building received a phone call from, sorry, contacted the Queensland Police Service and made a note about it. And the note reads, advice read the judge who is issuing warrant for POI Stradford to be held in custody and requesting QPS, Queensland Police Service, assistance to hold POI, POI's person of interest. In other words, there had been advanced notice given to the security office that the judge, officer, that the judge would be making an imprisonment order that day and they should get Queensland Police to come over to the courthouse so that they could take uh, Mr. Stradford into custody. And that's and that prior was to the ultimate of hearing the, of the matter, right? Such yeah. as the hearing was. but Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so that was part of the pre-judgment um, factual circumstances mm. as well, which, which fed into the series Jeez. of errors that were alleged against the judge. So I'm just, sure that resonated with a lot of criminal lawyers. Like definitely. how many times have you been in court and the... And the men in blue start to wander in and, you know, you're finished. Or, I mean, I've had this happen to me before where you're about to make your submissions on sentence and the magistrate leans over the court officer and you can hear them whisper, get correctives. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry, um, as a non-barrister, I find that particularly mm -hmm. frightening. So there were six specific errors that were pleaded against the judge and that was relevant because it... They fed into this question of whether or not what the judge did was outside of his jurisdiction or within jurisdiction, um, within his powers or not. And these errors were all alleged as being jurisdictional errors that they were beyond the scope of the judge's jurisdictional powers. Um, so the first one was failing to make any finding that there'd been a breach of the orders, so that we've discussed that. There was no actual factual finding about the circumstances of the supposed contempt. And then two um, errors that related to the particular rules that apply in family law proceedings and in the federal circuit court in relation to how to deal with contempt. So things like the process requiring a particularization of the charges, mm. a process requiring, um, you know, some formality where the alleged contemnor has to state whether they agree that they were in contempt it's or in not. Act, right? yeah, it's, it's in, in the, the Act, right? Yeah, it's in the Federal Circuit Court rules and oh, it's in, in the, the Family rules, Law yeah. Act. Um, things like... Which he seems, on my reading of his reasons that are in there, to have been either unaware of or he thought he was exercising some different jurisdiction. So the federal court said he either was ignorant of them or chose to ignore them. Chose to ignore them, yeah. Yeah. Um, things like, it, you know, the first step is if it's denied, 
a prima facie case needs to be considered, um, then if a prima facie face is, uh, <laughs> prima facie case is found, that the alleged contemnor will be allowed to make a defence and then an All actual determination stuff. of whether a contempt has occurred. And then there were other rules that also meant that where the type of contempt is um, not contempt in the face of the court, so not some kind of abuse of the court or something like that, but where it is alleged that the contempt is by way of... Conduct or something or... Failing to comply with an order mm, mm. of the court, then the requisite standard that had to be reached was that the conduct was a flagrant challenge to the court's authority. And that just wasn't at all engaged with. Mm. And that might have had a lot of work to do when you're talking about why some affidavit wasn't filed. Mm. Or Mm. why certain documents weren't disclosed when there was an assertion that like he could have had a wrong-headed belief about something that meant that it wasn't a flagrant sort of disregard. Well, his case was that he'd done everything that he could to comply with yeah. the order. Yeah, but let's say that wasn't right. He still could have had some lesser sure, state sure, of mind that sure. meant he wasn't guilty. Yeah. And so then the other three errors alleged were denial of procedural fairness, prejudgment, and then this improper purpose which fed into the collateral abuse of process tort claim, which failed. Um, But the false imprisonment claim was successful. And the case concerned quite a few different really interesting legal issues that required the court to go through about 400 years of case law Mm. to try and tease out where, where the state of the common law in Australia is up to. And some of the key issues that the court had to grapple with was the question of judicial immunity, which Mm. was something that Judge Vasta sought to rely on as a protection from any liability. Because you're all subject to that, are you? Judicial immunity. We've got advocates' immunity in terms of not being able to be sued in defamation. But judicial immunity... Or in or um, negligence, right? Correct. Yeah, but judicial immunity, I think it's statutory Is it? for lots of courts, yeah. yeah but in so respect to this common law issue. It's the most interesting part of this judgment. It is fascinating. And, and, it's a broad immunity. Justice Whitney's analysis of the common law going back hundreds of years is just fascinating. Yeah, like, it's a really great read. You'd learn about courts you'd never heard of, like the court of the Marshalsea. Which is like the court of a court of record held by the steward and the marshal of the royal household that determined administered justice between the sovereign's domestic servants <laughs> within a twelve miles of the sovereign's residence, <laughs> like the industrial court for the servants. Well, yes, no, well, yeah. I mean, that's anyway. Funny. So, yeah, fascinating things like that. It's worth a read for that. Reason. So, part of the reason that resort had to be had to what is the common law in this area was because. As Stevie mentioned, um, federal circuit court judges don't have any current statutory judicial immunity. So, for example, in New South Wales, magistrates, um, district court judges, they are um, judicial officers in inferior courts, but Section 44, capital B of the Judiciary Act gives them by statute um for performance of 
their duties as a judicial officer the same protection and immunity as a judge of the Supreme Court. But no one wrote that in federally. That's right. Not in the federal circuit court. No, not in respect to federal called. circuit yeah. court judges. Well, you say wow, but do you think there sh- do you think that inferior court judges should have that kind of? Protection? I think that's a really interesting policy question because on on the one hand, judicial immunity is important for as a sort of collateral of judicial independence. Mm. On the other hand, there's a sort of I suppose somewhat lack of accountability that comes with that. Um, I just say wow because what an oversight. Well, if it was mm. an oversight, I mean, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. Maybe they were relying on the common law. Yeah. Maybe they were waiting mm. for Vasta to pop up. I mean, mm. yeah. And so under common law, there's not like there's no immunity. So yeah, but hey, it's not like there's no immunity. It's like there's no immunity if you stray outside jurisdiction. Jurisdiction, correct? In if a serious sense. Yeah, that's yeah. right. In so if you're within jurisdiction and you're, or you just mindlessly stray out, you're fine. So it's not like there's no immunity. That's it's right. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's a que- it's a question of interpretation, though. It's a grey line. Is what is what Wigney ultimately finds right? Well, it's not as simple as jurisdictional or non-jurisdictional. It's jurisdictional error of a heightened quality yeah. of a particular kind, and yeah. he didn't ultimately be determine nasty. the full scope of it because Mr. Stradford's lawyers confined their argument to say we're not saying you have to determine that all jurisdictional errors mean you lose the protection of judicial immunity under common law. Mm. We're just saying that these particular mm. types of jurisdictional errors that Mr. Vasta did commit, we just want um, justice, <laughs> mean that. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, 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 he's not um, smart lawyers from liability. Uphill battle, very think, well argued. I, I, very well argued. Mm. I, I think, and very well reasoned by Justice Whitney, if I may say. But for my part, the amount of the number of people in our society who should have absolute immunity on the use of violence, which is what jailing somebody is, mm. should be limited to very, very few people. And Supreme Court judges seem to me, Superior Court judges seem to me to be a compromise. Like mm. that, That's, I think, a good note to just discuss the experience that Mr Stradford had in custody because um, it was his first time in custody. He, It happened off the back of being quite fearful of appearing before the judge and the judge clearly becoming angrier and angrier during the proceedings um, and engaging in um, behaviour that was described by the court as high-handed, unnecessarily demeaning, contemptuous, dismissive. It exacerbated and amplified the shock, humiliation and fear that Mr Stradford unquestionably felt as he was escorted by the security guards through public areas to the cells and then ultimately imprisoned for seven days. I think it's worth just outlining in some detail his experience from that point on to put um, in context the findings of this case and then the finding that damages, including exemplary damages, um, including aggravated damages, were warranted. And I should say that um, whilst there were some disputes about the evidence of Mr Stratford in relation to things like his health and his financial circumstances, employment circumstances, there was no significant dispute concerning the nature and circumstances of his detention and imprisonment. And Queensland submitted 
that the court could um, accept his evidence and it wasn't seriously challenged in cross-examination. The judge found, this is Justice Wigney, that um, Mr Strafford's general recollection of the events and his feelings at the time was vivid and ingrained. It was and remain he re- was and remains deeply affected by his time in custody. He became quite emotional at times during the giving of his evidence. There was no reason to doubt his authentic authenticity in that regard. Um, he, after being escorted by the security guards, was then frisk searched. He felt shocked and fearful in the holding cell. He was only in the holding cell for about 30 minutes. Then he was taken by the police, handcuffed in a car where he felt claustrophobic and like um, he was a dog in the back of a cage. Upon arriving at the police station, one of the officers um, quipped that, well, you'll have a tough time in here. And he was also told that he might be in the watch house for months, which um, felt to him like a bad place full of bad people. He was then strip searched. That wasn't the only time that he was strip searched. He was strip searched twice, which meant removing his clothing, being told to lift his legs, spread his buttocks so that um, it could be checked whether he was concealing anything in his anus. Um, Justice Wigney said, not surprisingly, he felt degraded during that procedure. He was then um, had his clothes taken from him, offered some clothes, but um, initially he was told that um, he'd be provided with some women's shorts, which were different to what the other inmates were wearing by way of green shorts. And when he first encountered a group of inmates, he was taunted by them about that. Um, And he wasn't given any shoes or socks to wear while at the watch house, which was for a number of days. The holding cell he was first in about three metres long, just over one metre wide, shared that with four other inmates. One of the inmates punched the wall above his head. Um, He was panicking, he was terrified, he was overwhelmed. He then shared a pod with five other inmates. Um, The bed was a lump of concrete. um, He was given a mattress and a blanket but no pillow. He felt upset and distressed. Um, There was a bubbler but it didn't work in the cell. Um, There was a metal toilet, but no toilet paper. It was bitterly cold when he asked for a second blanket. He was refused. He was given red rooster as his meal for lunch and dinner for several days at the watch house. He's then sharing a cell with someone else who tells them they're coming off ice and heroin. um, And then he wakes up to being strangled by that person. He's intimidated, sleeping in the environment. The other person had no regard for their personal hygiene um it was disgusting um he asked to be provided with medication he was refused medication so was he one of those like like a silver water like a remand center thing or was he He was initially in a police watch house for a number of days and then he went to um a correctional center what's the position of hygiene with being jails are tough places Um, Strangled. Strangled is interesting. Mm. I think that was in the context of that all happened with this one other inmate at that time that he was sharing. It would make it worse. You guys ever been to jail? Yeah. Like as a visitor? Yeah. Yeah, Heaps Heaps of times. times. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, Dumb question. He had a really, really, really bad time. He had a tough time. time. Yeah. That's like four minutes of the realms of what you might normally expect. Well, that's a really good point, Stephen, because that's what the Queensland State 
argued. They said, oh, this is just an ordinary prison experience, which yeah. included things like um, making a noose out of his um, bedding to try to commit suicide, mm. um, you know, seeking access to a doctor being refused, um being exposed to violence by other inmates. Um, I mean, the fact that it's the ordinary prison experience, that shouldn't assist the state at all. I would have thought that might sound in exemplary damages, mm. that you're routinely exposing people to this. Well, I mean, other than... I mean, if you're not meant to be there, you're not meant to be there and the state will be liable for the consequences of what occurred there, even if it's happening to everyone else who's meant to be there, Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, the Justice Wigney said the thoroughly humiliating, demeaning and degrading manner in which Mr Stratford was dealt with and housed both at the watch house and the jail signif- significantly aggravated the injury to his feelings and mental state during the period of imprisonment. It's no answer to say that Mr Stratford suffered no more than the ordinary prison experience, whatever that may mean. But I I think it is important for people to understand that these types of things are ordinary. They're commonplace. Um, Violence, being denied medical attention, being denied basic um, aspects of dignity like being able to wash yourself, being able to drink water, being able to toilet cleanly. Um, All of these types of things are the ordinary experience of our brutal prisons. Um, But that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't justify them. The prison system needs to be massively overhauled. But I think it's important for people to understand that that's what it means to go to prison. That's what it means to get locked up in a police station. Do people Um, not know that? Yeah, I I think people don't know that. I think maybe they don't. I mean, I think people have a general sense it's not very nice, but yeah. I, do, I reckon a lot of people would be shocked, for example, to know that in the watch house they don't provide toilet paper. Yeah, that would be shocking. I mean, really? That's just... I presume the state either didn't challenge that or that was found proved. Maybe that's in the minutiae, but... I mean, there was there was some... At some point he was provided toilet paper on the evidence, but it wasn't. his evidence wasn't challenged. Hmm. If I was defending this case, I don't know how much I would go Mr Stradford about his evidence about that I sort know, of thing. It would probably be impossible to you wouldn't look into, it. really. You, 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 the, the, you're running this on the legals. You're not running yeah. this on the... So on the legals... Yeah, so this question of judicial independence um, came down to what was the the nature of the errors, whether they could properly be described as being jurisdictional errors um, of a kind that attracted liability or or removed the protection of judicial immunity. So that's what he ultimately found, did he? The common law on judicial immunity is that you're not immune. If you're an inferior court. If you're an inferior court for acts outside of jurisdiction if they're particularly what egregious is that the look that it, it, the judge can find justice wigney can find himself to dealing with the errors that were indeed committed by judge vasta and that and, and made a finding that the um the imprisonment was infected by a number of serious and fundamental errors on the part of the judge, that that meant that they were invalid and of no legal effect from the very outset rather than only from the point of being set aside. 
and because it was an inferior court, um, whereas if it were a superior court, the orders would be valid until set aside. That had the consequence then of meaning that the order of the judge, the related warrant, provided no lawful justification for the applicant's imprisonment, which is the kind of second part of the tort that needs to be proved. So first is, was he detained? There was no question about that. Second is, was there lawful justification? Um, and then the next part was, even if there was no lawful justification, was the judge protected by the <clears throat> immunity? Again, um, that was limited to where it's found um, the judge was acting with jurisdiction or, or the protection um, is lost or may be lost um, where the judge acted without or in excess of jurisdiction. Um, and then the, the judge, primary judge, obviously had jurisdiction to hear the matrimonial cause, um, to hear the, the divorce case, but acted without or in excess of jurisdiction when he imprisoned the applicant um, purportedly for contempt. Because he had jurisdiction to punish for contempt. Mm. That's right. he was outside for various reasons. Mm. And, and particularly the imprisonment because yeah. it was made without finding that he had in fact failed to comply with the um, disclosure orders um, and and was therefore in contempt, and it was without finding any of the facts that he was required to find before imprisoning him or um, yeah, taking that step. Well, I found interesting that Queensland and the Commonwealth were held liable for executing a warrant. Mm. Yeah, so they argued that um, they their officers were entitled to act on a warrant that on its face was valid um, Mm. and that that provided them with lawful justification. And Queensland also separately argued a particular statutory provision in respect of their officers um, that provided some immunity, but um, that was rejected on the basis that the the statutory defence didn't extend or apply to protect officers who are executing an, an order or a warrant made by a federal court exercising federal jurisdiction, even if that happened physically or geographically in Queensland. Um, so it, had, it, it didn't fall within the um, confines of the meaning of a court mm. relevantly for the purpose of that defence, it would have to be a Queensland court exercising Queensland jurisdiction. It's just otherwise a nullity, right? It's an invalid warrant. That's right. Yeah, issued by an inferior court. Exactly. So then because it's invalid, um, it it doesn't provide lawful justification. So did Basta have to pay or does he have to pay any of the damages himself? Yeah. So um, the breakdown was that um, there were orders against Vasta and the Commonwealth um, for false imprisonment, for general and aggravated damages, um, $35,000. There were 
orders against all three um, jointly and severally for the personal injury and loss of earning capacity damages of about $60,000. And then there was an order against the judge personally and the state of Queensland for the longer period of imprisonment um, in the amount of $165,000 plus interest. I wonder if he's got any sort of... And then he personally, Mm. so not the state um, or the Commonwealth, he personally had an order for exemplary damages for the false imprisonment. Of fifty thousand dollars. Wonder if he's got any sort of a insurance relationship or other relationship with the federal government where that's offset by them or something. Well, this would be the first of its kind. If if they're operating on the assumption that he's got immunity, that wouldn't be there. Probably not. They might give him an extra payment. Yeah. Although I don't know why they would operate under on the assumption that he has immunity for. Um. I mean, they argued it. Hmm. So he was represented in the proceedings, wasn't he? Yeah, Separately he was. Buster. Yep, yep. So we should say that um, all of the respondent parties have appealed the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so an appeal will be heard at some point. Um, some of the errors alleged include um, Judge Vaster maintaining that he has judicial immunity on account of being vested with judicial power of the Commonwealth and asserting that he... Um, has the same immunity as a superior court judge, which was something that he argued um, in front of Justice Wigney unsuccessfully. Um, he could collect a huge cost order against me if he loses the appeal. Well, yeah. I mean, Justice Wigney made some remark at some point. He's like, look, I'm constrained by the authorities. If if this argument it's right, it's not for me as a puny judge of the federal court no. to make it. It's mm. for the high court. Yeah. That's where it's heading. I would, have I would yeah. imagine so because this is a unprecedented question. Surely. Yeah. Caused a kerfuffle too. I remember the, I don't know what it's called, but the Association of Judicial Officers, maybe the relevant federal one, they were concerned about it, about not having that immunity. There are still judges who and are also refusing I think to sit. The, um, refusing to sit I as a consequence so. of this. Yeah. Wow. I heard that. I'm not sure if that's Really? What, yeah. Inferior what? court judges? Yeah. Well, in solidarity sure with Vasta. No, no, it's not solidarity. I did hear from someone that... It's um, my interest. Oh, sure. I did hear from a magistrate that, that they, there was quite a lot of pause before anyone was thinking about locking someone up for contempt. Uh, Good. Well, so there should but be. Exactly. I mean, come on. I know. Like sure. have a hearing, you know. Exactly. Yeah, so the, the Australian reported that angry federal judges are refusing to hear cases for fear they may be held financially liable for struck-down judgments. Mm. Mm. So there you go. I uh, just want to put a point in that I referenced um, Vasta a week uh, later in my legal ethics exam, which I just passed. So I just thought I'd put that You cited this authority or you cited some other authority of Vasta? I cited the example of Vasta being found... The, the immunity not stacking up in his defence. Mm. Oh, we should have had you run this. Well, no, I'm glad you didn't because a week is a long time in Jim Minns' memory time. Um, and uh, it was in the context of what happens now to advocates' immunity. Yeah. But obviously it's a different question. But So throw it out there. I mean, do you think there's going to be action to seek to remove him? Which I think has to occur through a federal committee, doesn't it? Well, it's before an appeals court, Stephen. Surely we have to... He's a chapter three judge. That's a different question. question. That's a different question question about whether he should... Could he... Could he... Do you think there'll be actions to remove him from the judiciary? He's a chapter three judge. Yeah, so it's got to be proven misbehaviour. Through parliament. Yeah, correct. That's my... I think they do a committee of the parliament, don't they, to look at it? I don't know. Has it ever been done? Yeah, Lionel... They set up a... 
commission, I think they call it, but I think it's a, I could be wrong about this. I think it's a parliamentary yeah. committee. They set one up in relation to Justice Murphy, but, but it didn't died ultimately. Mm. They disbanded, I think, because of his ill health, yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know. These findings are very, very serious. Yeah, I mean, on prejudgment, Justice Wigney said, an allegation of prejudgment, which amounts to an allegation of actual bias, is about about as serious an allegation as any that could be made against a judicial officer because it involves a finding of judicial impropriety and probably judicial misconduct, citing a... um, another federal court of appeal, full court Especially in the context where you can lock someone up, right? Exactly. Like, you but then said, I'm nevertheless satisfied that the inference canon should be, should be drawn. Should be drawn, yeah. Fun things, ladies and fun gentlemen. Things. It's good to be back to end this one off. We'll start with Emmanuel Cooker sharing. What's your fun thing? I have two fun things. One is today is my third wedding anniversary, so I'm going to go and have a lovely woo, picnic woo, woo, with woo, my woo. wife. Congratulations. And the other one is that I'm going to, again involving my wife, who sits on a board of a charity called The House That Dan Built um, that does sort of musical stuff. It brings music. I'm not doing it any justice, <laughs> but in any event... On the 19th of November, they're doing a symphony of 100 women from about around the country. And they're just trying to... I'm just going to use the word random people. They're women who volunteered to come and sing at Town Hall. Um, and it's I've, I've sort of a heard... Choir. Yeah, but sort of randomly put together. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and it's 100 women from around the country. It's, I've heard some of the early takes and it sounds fantastic. 100 women, 100 stories, a choral performance. Yeah, so the thehousethatdanville.com. Get your tickets. It's, it's going to be fantastic. Love Where's it. Where's it at? It's at Town Hall, I think. Town Hall. Yeah. Great. Brilliant. Stephen yeah. Lawrence, what's your fun thing? You're looking through your calendar, are you? My fun thing <laughs> is last Wednesday I was sitting in the upper house, not expecting anything funny to happen. Yeah. We were considering um, a motion that Mark Latham moved about UFC fighting. Oh, yeah. And he's a big supporter of it, I think. Of and UFC or the motion? Of UFC. He brought oh, yeah. the a big motion. supporter of it. Oh, okay, right. I don't know what the motion is. And... You know, people are obviously aware uh, that Mark Latham's got a bit of a controversial history in terms of uh, homophobic comments uh, that he directed towards Alex Greenwich. Very recently. So during the moving of the motion, the legalised cannabis MP Jeremy Buckingham had the opportunity to speak on the motion. Yes. And he made a very funny contribution. I've got it here. I could probably play I rise to support the Honourable... Uh, members motion and as a fan of MMA and actually a proponent of uh, MMA not bad at the old triangle chokehold myself uh, very very uh, and I'll be I'll be using it probably on him a little bit later but I uh, I I commend the member for such a courageous motion in supporting what has been described the most homoerotic of all sports. So many people, uh, especially gay people, uh, uh, men, uh, uh, attracted to the physicality of two sexy men rolling around on the floor together, pelvic thrusts, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, chokeholds, submission, all of those things that I know, that I know the Honourable Mark Latham loves so much. And after he finished Daniel Mookie 
stood up and said, Dare I say, uh, Latham just got Lathamed, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Felicity Grant, what's your fun thing? Uh, I'm going up to Northern Rivers this weekend for a case. The old home? Yeah, going to go check out my old haunts, <clears throat> Lennox Head, East Ballina. For a case, how long are you up there? Uh, just a day in Lismore District Court. Yep. Beautiful. Yep, but Pretty gonna cool take the weekend thing, up there. Oh come I'm on! Find Lismore for a case. No, come <laughs> on! <laughs> 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 you well, normally have it. such good fun things. It's true. I'm going to spend comment. the weekend up there and hang with my oh, pals. Oh, well, you should have said that. Oh, that's good. I thought you that was going for a day. No, I'm, for your I'm in for a day for court, but then I'm oh, staying good. for the weekend. Good. Is that, yeah. no, is that good. acceptable? No, no, it's very sure the tax office knows about that in terms of the accommodation and the flights and all that. What? Don't worry about ah. it. <laughs> well, fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. It's great to have you all here again. What a great episode. We'll see you next week. For listening, please like The Wigs on Facebook at The Wigs Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. This podcast was brought to you by Minimal Productions, produced by Jim Mintz.